I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. I'm going to toss it over to our hosts, Micah and Josiah Keneally. Hey everybody, it's Micah and Josiah Keneally here. And we are super excited to let you know about an amazing opportunity called 2021 Young Adults Today Conference. It's happening March 5th and 6th virtually this year. This means that you and your teams can tune in from wherever you are. This conference is geared specifically for next generation leaders and their teams. Some of the guests helping us lead the way are Brad Jones from Passion Movement, Dr. Sammy Kim from Harvard University, Pastor Josh Schaldau from Evangel Church, Grant Skeldon from Q Ideas. There'll be breakout sessions, panels, times of connection, worship, and more. So register now at www.youngadults.today conference. Hope to see you there. Can't wait. We have a special week where we're diving into relationships, mm -hmm. everything from singleness, dating, engagement, marriage, and parenting. And so happy Valentine's Day to you listening. And Micah, how are you doing? I'm doing well. It's Valentine's Day. There's chocolate everywhere, right? Well, Praise the Lord. Chocolate and flowers for all the listeners today. <laughs> but we are joined by some phenomenal people, an amazing family that we love that has been there for us. They were our marriage mentors, right? Mm -hmm, back definitely. in 2017. They were my pastors back in North Dakota. And they are Doug and Vicki Graham who are joining us today. Welcome, you guys. How are you doing? Thank you. We're thank doing you, great. Thank Thanks for having us. Yeah, you are so welcome. Honored to be with you and honored to invest. That's what we live for. We live for the investment God wants to, to put into other people through us. So that's why we're here. Love it. Absolutely. That's one thing I've learned from this family. They want to leave a legacy and they want to invest in that process and they want to have fun while they do it. And for the listener, if you do not know who Doug and Vicki Graham are, um, Dr. Doug Graham is the vice president of the spiritual life and student development at North Central University. That's downtown Minneapolis. Go Rams. Yes, as well as he serves at the Minnesota District Council of the Assemblies of God as the associate superintendent. And for those of you who do not know Vicki Graham, she is a sweetheart, but she's also the senior associate pastor of ministry operations at Cedar Valley Church here in Bloomington. And you guys, we are so thrilled to have you. We know that your four children are all serving the Lord in just beautiful ways. You guys are joining us today and you guys have been married for 36 years. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Yep. It's been wonderful. <laughs> it's been a great journey. Amazing. So Doug and Vicki, we just would love to um, share more of your story, kind of just the start for the listener who might not have crossed paths with you yet, and they're meeting you just for the first time here on the podcast. Could you just kind of share, how did you meet? Was it on a dating app? Um, <laughs> oh, which one? And then, they didn't have those. <laughs> And can you just yeah, dive into yeah. maybe your story of faith, your journey of leadership, how you met? You each get to share because there's two versions. And go ahead. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll start. Um, you know, it it all begins with with our faith. You know, and and I was raised in church all my life, uh, but I wasn't raised in a church that you know preached the born again experience. And so uh, I had a Christian football coach when I was in ninth grade and charismatic Catholic uh, coach that was just on fire for Jesus. And uh, that was the, the initial awareness that the, the Jesus that I did believe in was also the Jesus who could live in my heart. 
and I could uh, receive him into my life and experience change. And uh, that really, really happened. I mean, I know that I know that I know that I was born again because the light bulb turned on inside of me for the things of God and specifically for the word of God. And so I gave my heart to the Lord and my life to the Lord, knowing that it was not just a, uh, a conversion to be saved, but it was a conversion to be used by God. And so offering my life to be, you know, to live for the Lord was really critical. My dad was going through the same kind of process as a, as a middle-aged adult. And so he and I uh, found ourselves looking for a church in our community that, that preached the gospel and, and had an emphasis on the baptism in the Holy spirit. And, we found ourselves at an assembly of God church and uh, that happened to be the church that Vicki was raised in. And uh, wow. so throughout the a process that maybe Vicki can explain how we all actually connected together as a couple. Uh, how did that happen, dear? Yeah. Um, I grew up in that particular church as an infant and through my teen years. And it, it was in that setting where, Um, I mean, I knew everybody. When you grow up in the church, everybody that's at the church, you know, you have relationship with. And as a teenager, it's like, you do not want to date anybody that you grew up with, really. I mean, (laughs) you know, you really know too much about them that it's like, no, I don't think so. But um, it was always interesting when a new guy came to youth group, it's like, ooh, who's that? You know, you take, <laughs> take note of, oh, he's kind of good looking. That's, that's yeah. interesting. But I was super shy because um, I'm an introvert, high introvert, and I never put myself out there. And I never flirted or um, really engaged much unless somebody kind of encountered me. But what was real and meaningful in my life is I had a close relationship with our youth pastor and his wife, simply because I was serious about my spiritual life. And they really invested in me. And I knew that I could talk to them about anything. And so it really was that connection that brought Doug and I together because um, he also came into the church and he had just given his life to Jesus. So he was a brand new believer and the youth pastor really discipled him. So um, in that process of our spiritual journey, um, it was, it was really the call of ministry that brought us together because Doug, um, probably about a year and a half in um, to his rela- new relationship with Jesus, he said, I want to do what my youth pastor is doing. I mean, this is awesome. I can see myself doing that. And so he had really kind of defined that and declared that and spoke with our youth pastor about that. I, on the other hand, had a spiritual experience. Um, we were ministering as a youth group to a small church in a rural community, and we were praying after the service. And I, for some reason, I was just touched by God. I don't remember what the message was or any of that, but I found myself just praying after the service by myself. And I mean, I tuned everything else out. I mean, I didn't, wasn't aware of what was happening around me. It's just one of those God moments where it's just you and God. And as a result, I felt God speak to me that he was calling me into ministry. And I, I distinctly 
thought, I am to be a pastor's wife. I can see myself being a pastor's wife. Now, at that point, I didn't really have any role models of female pastors, so I wasn't thinking of myself as a pastor, but I can contribute to ministry as a pastor's wife because I saw that modeled well. And so I just knew, man, I'm headed to ministry. That, that's what I'm supposed to do with my life. Well, I spoke that to our youth pastor's wife that very night. And who then spoke it to her husband, <laughs> who then spoke it to me. And then I thought, oh, there's a girl in the youth group that has a call of God in her life. She, oh my, she is cute. So then, so then who cleared this up for us? Who made the first move then? Well, oh, I did. Well, this is interesting because um, I had a crush on him and our youth pastor's wife knew that. She knew I had a crush on him, but all the girls girls in the youth group had a crush yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so anyway it wasn't uh anything new but um she knew that and so on that monday i had no idea she talked to her husband that night and he talked to doug that night so the next day was monday and we're we go to the same high school and i usually ran into him once um like every monday wednesday friday i was coming out of one class he was coming out of another and we usually saw each other and because we're in the same youth group we knew each other but we didn't have any in-depth conversation by any mean but on that particular monday i turned around and looked at him after we had passed and said hello to check me out to check him out <laughs> Well, he turned around and looked at me to check me out. I wasn't checking you out. I was too spiritual for that. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it was like, like oh, this is interesting. So then a couple days later, I'm on the school bus ready to go home. I lived out in the country about seven miles, and I rode the school bus into town. And I'm on the school bus, and it was a hot day, had the window down. And I look out the window, and there's Doug standing on the sidewalk. And I thought, well, that's weird because I knew he was in track and usually he went out the other side of the building to go to track practice. So I thought, well, that's weird. Do I say hi? Do I not? I mean, it's kind of weird. Do I stick my head out the window? I mean, <laughs> you know, all those things girls think about, right? Right, right. So I, <laughs> I thought, okay, I'll say hi. And as soon as I said, hey, he goes, hey, I'm looking for you. I'm out here because I'm looking for you. And I said, oh, because I'm first thinking he's going to ask me to do something because he was very involved in ministry and he was a ministry leader, you know, in our youth ministry and also at the high school because we had a Bible study group at the high school, uh, Youth Alive. And so I thought he's going to ask me to do something and I'm going to have to tell him no, because I don't do stuff in front of people. So um, <laughs> that was my first thought. And he goes, hey, are you going to youth group tonight? And I said, well, I'm not sure. And he said, well, if you do, um, I want to talk to you. And I said, okay. And that was it. And he left. And it's like, okay, I'm going to do everything. Thing I can to get to youth group tonight because I, I, you know, who's going to leave that hanging over there? He left you wanting more. <laughs> he left you wanting more, Vicki. <laughs> right. So I went to youth service that night and the first thing he says to me when I get there is, hey, um, I don't want to ruin your evening, so let's talk after the service. I was like, ruin my, well, that just ruined it right there. You think, for you. <laughs> yeah, you think I was thinking about anything that was going on? No. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, he, he, he took me back to the youth pastor's office afterwards and he asked me, Hey, would you consider getting to know each other? I would really like to get to know you. 
and let's go to this youth event that was coming up. Would you consider going with me? Um, and it's like, yeah, <laughs> of course. I. So that was the start. That was the start of our relationship. Our very first date was a speed the light rally. So I don't know if any of all your listeners will know what speed the light is, but those of you that are raised at AG, that's a, you know, a youth, a youth service uh, designed to raise money for missions. And exactly. so that was our first, our first date. Exactly. That is so fun. I know when Josiah and I were both single, we were praying for each other, obviously in our first date, we actually prayed over the campus that we are now serving at. We got a coffee, oh. we went on a prayer walk to pray for the next generation. So it wasn't a speed of the light thing, but it was definitely yeah. one of those things you're like, wow, we have a similar calling. We have similar passions. God is obviously moving. We're getting to know each other. And yeah, that's so fun. Well, Thank you for sharing. And I, and, and I think the point, especially because, the, because of the young adults that are watching this and that you are influencing, because I know there are a lot of questions. How do I find, how do I find someone to date? How do I, where is the person that God has you know, designed for me to, to marry and all, all of that. And our example is, is that we put, we put the Lord first and we, in looking for someone to date, there had to be, there, they had to fit the profile of faith and love for God. And, and in this case, hearing that, you know, there was a, a, a girl in the youth group that had a call of God for ministry. Uh, I just knew that because of what I wanted to do with my life for the Lord, that, Mm-hmm. that uh, that that defined uh, the profile of of a girl that I would marry and, and it, it ties into our philosophy of dating that you know dating is all about the discovery or the searching for the potential uh, mate that you would marry one day and dating just to date is not a part of our philosophy but dating mm-hmm. in looking for that person. And if you know the person you're dating is not the person you're going to marry, then, then uh, the reason to date becomes a moot point. So anyway, putting the Lord first and making sure that you're dating an individual that really lines up with your spiritual values is really, really critical. That's so good. And Hester Doug, I remember sitting in one of your classes at North Central University and you talked about something that literally shifted my mind, my heart, the approach of even just praying to the Lord for my future spouse, in addition to seeking out the seeking out God's will. And you had said something in your Pentecostal distinctives class, I believe it was. And you shared about the process of master mission mate. And for the single person listening today, would you just explain what that looks like the master mission mate and how those two last words flip? Would you just share with the listener why that is so important? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, a lot of it has to do with the, first of all, the, the, core, the core value or the priority, we know that the most important thing in our life as Christians is our master. You know, understanding that Jesus becomes the Lord of our life and he becomes the ultimate priority over everything. And so we give our life to the Lord and we, and we, and we resolve the master question. And then in growing and your walk with the Lord, you become more grounded in your identity, who you are in Christ. And out of that identity comes this clarity on, on your mission, like what God has created me to do. Uh, And that's not just for, you know, people that find themselves called to vocational ministry. Every Christian is going to be called to ministry. Uh, Ephesians, you know, 
tells us that some are called in, in, in the offices of vocational ministry and their purpose, those of us that do pastoring or, or missionary work, you know, we're, we're raising up the saints, the body of Christ to do the work of the Lord. So, but we really believe that if there's a call on your life to serve Jesus as your master, he's going to put something inside of you that's going to drive you to be a doctor or to be a lawyer or to be a, a school teacher. It's going to be part of uh, not just a natural talent or something you saw your mom and dad do uh, that you normally would go into, but there's going to be that spiritual component that I really believe that God is calling me to do this and to do it for the Lord, do it in a Christian way. So it's the master question. It's the mission understanding. And then obviously it's for those who feel and a desire to marry, it's the mate question. And, and, it, and, and oftentimes it, it goes into that chronological order that you find Jesus first because you find Jesus, he helps you understand your mission. And then in the process of, you know, dating through high school or dating in college or dating in your young adult years, you're looking for your mate. Um, but so, so the chronology of it usually, usually goes in that fashion, but the moment you uh, are married upon that day, when you say, uh, you know, I do, and you put the ring on her finger or you receive the ring on your finger, then the priorities have a little bit of a shift. The master always stays the master. Jesus is always, always first, but then the mate becomes more of a priority over the mission. Uh, the mission is still important. The mission is still vital in your life, but uh, your your earthly relationship with your spouse is the most important prioritized relationship, second only to Jesus. And that's where there's oftentimes confusion, especially in vocational ministry, where you know master, mission, mate, and then young pastors or missionaries go into their life and their career and calling, and they still keep that the same priority, Jesus first, ministry second, and then my maid and my family third. And that's what creates uh, a number of problems of marriages and ministry and, and even the parental, uh, uh, you know, raising kids. They just feel like they are the third wheel when they're not supposed to be. Family is the second wheel. Uh, just behind Jesus. So I, I don't know if that explained uh, what helped you kind of have some things click, but that's a, that's a good way to, to process it. Well, totally. And I think that one of the things that you guys both touched on, Doug and Vicki, is the idea of beginning with the end in mind. Yeah. And you, you phrase it as far as when we date, we date to marry. Like that is that beginning of a dating relationship has the end goal in mind. And that doesn't mean that every relationship is destined to work out or that, but that's the direction that we're heading and we're beginning with the end in mind. And I think that one of the things that we also want to do is begin in the, like begin with the end in mind with our lives as young leaders, mm -hmm. people who want to serve the Lord for a lifetime of ministry. One of the things that's vital and important is beginning with the end in mind. And then along the way, mm -hmm. purity is super vital, like a lifetime of purity. And we live in a day and an age where all too often, like purity is compromised. Mm -hmm. And there's just decisions of compromise that you know, instead of discipline that leads to dividends later, compromise now leads to, to consequences later. And so I'd be curious to pick your guys' brain because you are further along in life and leadership and ministry than us of how would you encourage a young leader um, 
to remain pure for a lifetime throughout each process. Maybe they're single, remaining pure, dating, remaining pure, engaged, and still maintaining purity. And then even throughout marriage, staying pure for a lifetime, beginning with the end in mind. Yeah, Vicki, why don't you go first? Yeah, there's a lot of misconceptions because our world has distorted this whole view of staying pure and that you don't have to, you can do what you want to do. It's your, they don't talk about the mess you can make in dabbling in uh, compromise in and just, you know, it doesn't hurt to just look at these pictures. It doesn't hurt to watch this movie. It's no big deal to listen to this music. All of those things affect us and what we think about uh, sexuality. And as a result, you know, pornography is so huge today. It, I, I mean, very rarely do we interact with somebody who hasn't been affected by pornography? It, it just is out there. And how, how does somebody remain pure? But I think there's a lot of misunderstanding in this point that so many people think, well, it's okay now. Once I get married, I will be fulfilled sexually. And so I will no longer struggle with this issue. And that is a flat out lie <laughs> from the devil um, because people get married and they're still going to struggle because here's the thing, when you compromise, no matter what area of your life, you're going to continue to compromise until you master that thing that has some control over you. So marriage does not uh, take that compromise away. You have to master that before you get married because um, you will give in in other areas of your life, not just sexually, but you will compromise in, in other ways because you've compromised in this area of your life. So it affects so much of um, just your person and your relation, it affects your relationship with God. It re uh, affects your relationships with other people. And so um, you want to be intentional to, to remain pure. And that's a tough battle. We're not going to lie. That's not an easy thing to master. Right. But here's the thing. It is possible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> with God, all things are possible. Yeah. And so the pursuit, here's what you have to master, is the pursuit of Jesus has to stay number one in your life. If you can master that, you will master whatever temptation, struggle, compromise, you will master those other things. But if you allow other things to become priority in your life and you push Jesus to the side, you won't be able to master those things. Yeah, I uh, that point that Vicky makes at the end there is is really focusing on the positive, the input of Jesus, the input of spiritual vitality, the input of God's word, the input of great Christian friendships, the input of church. All those inputs has a way of crowding out the bad stuff that we uh, you know allow, or and sometimes we don't allow it. It just happens. We live in a very uh, sexualized culture, and you can't go throughout the day without there being some kind of trigger, especially for those who are so visually, uh, you know, responding uh, like us as men. Um, the the other thing that is important in this whole topic of purity is that in in our in the way God made us, everything is related to each other. So when we talk about purity, it's like 
right away we, we think only about sexual purity, which, which is a major issue, but purity goes, goes into all kinds of areas, purity with our finances, purity with our, with our motives, purity with our at, attitudes towards people, purity in all ways. You know, the call to holiness that God has called us to, which is to be set apart, is that is, is to be set apart, it's to be different than, the, than the, the systems and the philosophies and, you know, people that would represent the world. As a, when it comes to sexual purity, I, uh, you know, God helped us to, uh, to approach uh, how we would be communicating with our kids. And I, I might go into that, you know, we might go into that a little bit later, but something that's been more recent that has helped me working with college students, uh, working with uh, primarily young men uh, and, and the pornography issue and, and all that is, because uh, Vicki is right uh, and, and, you know, I grew up uh, before knowing Jesus. I had plenty of exposure to pornography, so I know the I know the the pull to it. I know the I know the you know the science now that is telling us that it's actually it triggers a chemical reaction in our brain that is equal to you know oxytocin that it, it you know the visual sight creates a you know a, a dopamine dump in us. So it it truly is an addictive thing. So. Um, when young men or young women or whatever, but those that are really being affected by a sexual temptation, the scripture really is true. And it says, flee your youthful lusts. And I don't think that concept of flee is a metaphor. I think Paul was saying to Titus uh, or to Timothy, you actually need to get out of the room and go for a run. You, you, you need to do something that gets your brain off of what your brain is focused on. In other words, the answer is not, don't think about porn, don't think about porn, don't think about porn, grit your teeth, don't think about porn, because you're just reinforcing a concept in your brain. The idea is to actually get your mind off of it by, by getting out of the room, turning the channel, having a different conversation. Um, because here's, here's the, the addictive issue about pornography before marriage and why it sticks to us even after marriage is because pornography... Uh, is like drive-through sexual pleasure. It's like drive-through food. It's convenient. It's fast. It's easy. It's on your own time schedule. Uh, that's how pornography works. And it, uh, it uh, it's a fool's game to think that once you get married, you're going to be ready and disciplined to enjoy the seven-course meal, which is the beautiful picture of godly love between a husband and a wife it's not fast it's not quick it's not at your own convenience sexual love between a husband and wife is is about considering your partner and um, that's why a lot of young men are still struggling in this area because they've trained themselves and they become accustomed to and they've just developed an appetite for fast food and struggling to understand how it is that a husband loves his wife in at a pace and in a way that is how she was made. So that little analogy has, has helped me to, you know, communicate to young men before marriage. Are you doing everything that you can with the help of the Lord to be preparing yourself to be the best husband? And I'll just say it, the best lover in a marital relationship. And if you're still, and if you're going to, think that porn will be turned off just because you got married. Um, you're totally misunderstanding how your body's conditioning itself for that easy pleasure. Right. So essentially what we do in our singleness will affect our future. 
will yeah. affect our future marriage. We'll have to have some deep, meaningful, maybe even hurtful conversations of any decision we've made in our past. Yeah. It can be impure finances and saying, hey, I'm in debt 300000 Do you still want to get married? That could prevent you from getting married Married yeah. within a year. It could postpone it. It could delete that, you know, that desire to. It could do a lot of different things. And I remember sitting and listening to you guys speak about marriage. You guys were together. And we were just at a section meeting about relationships, just talking about the importance of marriage. And this is something that I believe, Doug, you had said, and I hope that I got this quote right. And you had said something about this, and I just want to run this by, by you. And it says, um, marriage is the longest testimony you'll ever share with the world. Like marriage is the longest testimony that you'll ever share with the world. And can you just explain why is that? What, what, why do people watch us as a married couple? What are they being, what is being perceived, how we interact, how we respect, disrespect. Can you just go there for the listener who, you know, maybe struggling yeah. or maybe desiring well, someday? Yeah. It, in the context of, of pastors, um, but this also fits for in, in Christian couples that are not pastors necessarily. Um, but our sir, our marriage is the longest sermon that, That's that what it people is. will sermon. remember. It's the longest sermon. Uh, you know, Vicky and I have been preaching a sermon for thirty six and a half years, mm -hmm. and uh, and and it's not only the longest sermon we've been preaching. But it's the it's the sermon that's going to be the remember it's going to be remembered the longest. So you know, back in the evangel days in Bismarck, uh, I don't think those people remember any of the actual sermons I preached. There might be you know a highlight here or there, but though the people who who were there when we were there, they still remember us, and they still remember the marital relationship that we had. And so that's what I mean by the longest sermon that 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 you'll preach as a married minister. But if you're not a minister, you're still preaching a sermon to, to children. You're raising kids and your kids are watching. And, you know, if they're in the house for 18, 19, 20 years, they've seen a 20 year sermon preached uh, based on what they're seeing in the love that they have, they see between their mom and their dad. And we, and unfortunately, sometimes that sermon is not very good. It's not right. as wholesome as it could be, or it's not, maybe, maybe mom and dad have a fine marriage, but they're not as um, they're they're not they don't show that marital love out in the open to their kids appropriately, mm -hmm. and that's why you know that that marital sermon is so so critical because it, it'll be remembered all the days of your kids' lives, and if you're a pastor, it'll be remembered by your people. That's amazing. <clears throat> you know, I think that one of the things that I stumbled across when I was probably eighteen was a sermon series by Andy Stanley called The New Rules of Love, Sex, and Dating. And I'm so glad that just like this podcast, that was a resource that exists. I remember being at Lifetime Fitness, listening to it in my earbuds. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that he talks about is exactly what you're sharing. Every decision you make mm -hmm. ultimately becomes the story that you want to tell. In other words, we write the story yeah. through our lives, through our decision-making process, mm -hmm through the questions that we ask and ultimately that story, we tell our future spouse one day. And so I think yeah. for the person who's single and wanting to be married, that's a great season of life to mm -hmm. be in. It's a lot of fun. You have a lot of freedom and mm -hmm. a lot of time. And I think to leverage that time now to become the person, like Andy says, once again, that the person you're looking for is looking for. Yeah. 
the single season is such an amazing season to not waste your life, but to begin living for the things that matter most. And one of the things that matter most um, is Christ and prioritizing Christ. And also like, I would love to hear your guys' insight on how have you found that couples can prioritize Christ, uh, prioritize Christ in their marriage as well as each other. I think it really begins with your own personal life that you are committed to pursuing Christ on your own individually because that makes you a better marriage partner. The closer you are to Christ, the more you become like him and you have his characteristics in your life, which makes you a better spouse. So it really begins in that personal relationship, but then connecting with each other on a spiritual level can look all different in many different aspects. I mean, um, we've never really been good at having devotions together, but we have been good at praying together. Um, you know, throughout the years, sometimes it's just at nighttime, the lights are out, it's dark in the bedroom, we hold hands and we pray, especially if there's something on our hearts or our lives or we're concerned about somebody, we'll take that time to pray together. It's also been sometimes in the morning when we depart and it's just, we know that one or the other has a heavy burden on their life that day and and maybe a difficult decision, something like that, where we embrace and we pray for the other. Um, so it can look different in all different ways. One thing that we've done over the years too is share what we learned or what God spoke to us in our personal devotional time. Mm-hmm. So just connecting sometime that day. And we've even done this as informally as he has sent me emails <laughs> because we both work and or and text so yeah it's been sometimes text um where he's just like you know god showed this to me today or whatever and, and it's a way of sharing what god is doing spiritually in your life and i'm telling females you you understand this males don't always understand until you get married but there is a huge attraction to a man who is pursuing God. That spiritual aspect of a man is super attractive to a female. Mm -hmm. And when we know he's pursuing God and he's putting God first, I mean, that makes him so attractive. (laughs) So um, yeah, having that godly component. So it's to pursue Christ independently, but then to share him throughout the day. And of course, when you have kids, that you, you're both integrating your relationship with Christ. I, I can think of so many times where we need to share our personal experience with our children so that they're understanding that it's not just something we're talking about, but we are experiencing it because the experience we have spiritually makes a huge impact on our children. It can't just be, this is what we believe, this is what we do. Even seeing us reading the Bible and pray, that's important, but it's even more important to share our experience that we have spiritually with our children. That is so impactful. Yeah. That's good. I hope the young men were all listening to what Pastor said. That's right. She gave you such a great tip or hint, like this might be worth the whole episode to some guy out there. I'd say this, do, do less time pumping the, pumping the, the iron because she's not as impressed about the muscles physically as she's impressed about the spirituality and the maturity. That'll preach. 
That's good. Oh, it's too funny. Well, we, you guys know that we are brand new parents and we just became parents back in 2020. And many of our listeners may be new parents, young moms, young dads. If you could each share your best parenting advice, what would you share with those listeners today? I'm going to let Vicki go first. (laughs) Well, We teach something that Josiah said earlier, and he was relating it to marriage, but we relate it to parents, and that is start with the end in mind, which means what kind of adult child do you want to have a relationship with when they turn 18? And it's that picture, and you, you list those qualities of what you want to see in that child and how you want to relate to them, and then you back up the train and you say, how do I get there? In other words, what do I need to do intentionally to get there? And we did that initially uh, at the beginning of our parenthood in creating a list of what characteristics do we want to see in our adult children and how do we want to be able to relate to them when they turn 18 and what kind of relationship do we want? And then we backed up the train and we said, what do we need to do to get there? How, do, how can we be intentional to, to make steps to get there? And I think one of the biggest impacts that you can have on your children is being authentic. In other words, be who you say you are and who you tell them to be. They need to see it in you. And if you're telling them one thing and doing another, it, 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 it will destroy uh, their view of you. And it will also destroy the relationship you have with them because wow. you're not authentic. Uh, authentic. Um, so be who you say you are. That is the most important thing because, again, children... Uh, they pick up things more by catching it rather than you just teaching it constantly. They're watching you. They're listening to you. They're observing. They're, they're saying, Ooh, I don't want to be like that when I grow up. Or they're saying, I want to be like that when I grow up. They're observing you every moment of the day. So to be intentional Um, and real in those ways and to be who you say you are and to be the person you're telling them to be is super, super important. Yeah, that's great. The thing I would say is it's so important and I don't want to say that this is especially for dads, but moms as well, but I know that my goal as a dad was to be uh, as as strong as a, a dad in the lives of my kids, as, as my dad was in my life. And I had a great dad. He was very involved, attended everything that I did and all of that. But there was a, there was a missing piece that my dad, for whatever reason, struggled to provide for me. And that's what I would just call emotional connection. The ability to look me in the eyes and say, I love you. And, uh, or I know something's going on in your life. How can I help you? What, you know, let's talk this through. Uh, and so, uh, I want to make sure that I had establishing that emotional connection with my kids, because here's the deal about parenting. When you are a parent, you are, whether you, whether you feel like you signed up for it or not, you sign, you have a child, you are, you are building a disciple. You, you are, you are in a discipleship program as the mentor. And uh, whenever you get involved in a mentoring relationship as the mentor, uh, you know that you are obligated to 
help this mentee, this protege through the ups and downs and ins and outs. And that's what parenting is. It's a discipleship program. And, 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 and in a discipleship program, you can't, uh, you can't cover for your disciple. They, they have to learn the hard way. And so as parents, you have to see your kids, not as little angels, but they're fallen angels and they, they need to grow uh, in their sanctification. And that means you're not going to, you're not going to save them in all of their troubles. And you're not going to use your children to boost, to, to, to boost your own sense of ego that you've got perfect kids. Just admit it up front. Your kid's not perfect. It'll never be perfect. And your kid might do some things that actually embarrass the family. And you know what? What's most important is not the family name. What's most important is your child knowing that you love them regardless, and you're going to help them through their issue, but you're not going to bail them out. One of our kids ran into severe trouble at school, uh, in high school. I was I was out of the country. I was on a missions trip, so I couldn't handle it. Vicki had to handle it. She had to go to the principal's office and the principal is laying it down, all the stuff that went wrong. And, and, and Vicki said, I want you to punish him as severely as is necessary because I don't want this to ever happen again. And the principal's jaw dropped and said this, I quote, I have never, ever had a parent say that. You know, our... High school principals are used to parents bailing their kid out or saying, "Our kid, my kid's an angel." He would never have done that. So it's just a it, it's a real thing that we've got to help our kids get through, and we're not rescuing them through everything. Yeah, we don't abandon them. You know, we don't abandon them. Christ never abandons us. Right. Uh, he walks beside us, so we don't abandon our kids when they screw up. We walk beside them, even if that is embarrassing humiliating and here's where the devil likes to trip us up he likes to help he wants to tell parents that it's it's your fault mm -hmm. like you screwed up and parents often believe that lie and they're so insecure that they can't overcome and be the parent they need to be for the kid in the moment because wow. they're too worried about their own personal reputation I had to swallow my pride, and of course, Doug too, even though he wasn't there, but we're pastors in a community. People know us. Now they know that we've got this kid who, who was arrested and, and majorly screwed up, and I had to fight that battle. It's not me. I've done the best I can do, mm -hmm. and I'm going to stick by my kid, not bail him out. I'm going to let him pay the consequences, but I'm going to walk the journey through him, which means I'm going to suffer with him. Because that's what Christ did with us. Too many parents don't want to suffer, you know, alongside their child. They want to just cover up or bail them out. And that never makes the child strong like they need to be. We need to be like Christ and walk through the challenge with them, which means we're going to suffer at times with them. That's so good. Both of you just lay down a serious, um, great advice. And I've been taking notes because we're new parents. We're in a new season of, of life. And sometimes I told Micah the other day, I said, Micah, I was so clean before I had a, a child. I was not messy. I never spilled a glass of water. <laughs> I never dropped coffee. I didn't bump water bottles. You didn't wear raspberries. <laughs> and now I have some white sweatshirts that I like. I've gotten, uh, 
I, we got to buy bleach now because I'm a mess and it's not even our daughter. I just, and I'm in the clumsy stage of parenting. So I really appreciate your advice and insight. And one of the things that we ran across, somebody sent us a gift in the mail and it's a book called praying the scriptures over your children. And Pastor Vicki, I have to say, I, I almost reached out to you because we had the author, Jody Burnt, on because we're curious, young parents were new and, and just said, hey, will you teach us to pray the scriptures? And I think, by the way, you would be great friends with her if you haven't connected yet or if you're um, a listener and you want to learn more about parenting, I really recommend that book. But one of the things, Pastor Vicki, that you prayed, I think it was at Aurora's Shower baby shower, um, is you prayed that she would, um, I'll try to get this right. You prayed something to the effect that she would give her life to Christ at a very young age, that she would know Jesus at a young age. And I think that that's influenced mm -hmm. how, um, we parent and how even we pray for our daughter, but how, how would you say, um, you can teach kids as new parents at a young age to also mm -hmm. make their faith their own, to not just say, okay, I believe what my parents believe, mm -hmm. or I'm, I'm following blindly, but how can you help them to wrestle and ask questions mm -hmm. and also like truly own their faith for themselves and not just lease it or adopt it or rent it from their parents? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Again, it goes back to this bailing our kids out aspect. In other words, okay, they're, 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 they're fearful, they're worried, they're doubting, they don't understand. And so we just want to direct their thinking. And there's a danger to some degree in that. I mean, we need to do that to some degree in that we're teaching them and we're, we're speaking truth in their life, that sort of thing. But we need to let them wrestle with their doubts, their fears, their struggles, and remind them to bring them to God, that God is big enough to carry their fear, that we can pray about our fear, that we can pray about our doubt, totally. to allow God to prove himself to our child. When our daughter was fifth grade to seventh grade, she struggled with doubt majorly. And I thought, oh man, she's wrestling to make her faith her own. She accepted Christ as a young child, as like a five-year-old child. But now it really was our faith that she kind of accepted and she was writing on the coattails of mom and dad. But then in fifth grade, she's beginning to say, oh, well, mom and dad have told me this all my life, but I'm not sure it's true myself. I want to know myself that this is true. So it would have been very easy for me to, to just kind of force the issue and say, oh, what you're thinking is not true. That's just the enemy. Um, but instead, uh, I, I really prayed about it. And I said, God, you need to help me with this because I don't know how to help her in the best way. And God just spoke to my heart. And he said, you need to just share your spiritual experience with her. And you need to listen to her. So allow her to share her doubts, fears without interrupting her, without correcting her, without saying, well, that's not the right thinking or that's not the right path, because that comes across often as judgment. Mm -hmm. And actually a child can rebel or push away from a parent if they feel that. So I just began 
when I had opportunity, when I knew God had answered a prayer, I then began to share that with my daughter saying, you know, I prayed for so-and-so. They were struggling with this and God answered that prayer and here's how that worked. And, um, and then I would just share things from my past. I struggled with this when I was your age or I struggled with this when I was, you know, 14. And God helped me with that. Here's the answer that God brought. So God, she needed to see the realness of God in my life before it could really be true in her own, because then she could wrestle with that better. But I also told her, I said, you need to keep doing the right things because this is a way that you can test God to see if he's real. So keep doing the right things. Don't back away from him, but keep pursuing him, but question him, question him all day long. The Psalms are full of questions. True. So question him and he will prove himself to you. I know that because I've experienced that, but you need to know that. And so keep it up. And so she was faithful, even though she struggled with doubt and fear, she just was faithful to take all of those questions to God and to wrestle with it and to journal. I taught her how to journal and to write those things out. And she's an incredibly strong, faith-filled believer today. But I think it's because we allowed her to go through some of that pain and that struggle so that her faith could be her own and it could become strong. So by the time she graduated from high school, she knew that she knew God was real and, and was a part of her life in a powerful way. Yeah. And, and backing up just a little bit, even before when, when our kids were young uh, and maybe it was just Kyle and Kirk when they were just, just little toddlers, we, we uh, determined that we were not, uh, how do I say this? I don't want to uh, say the wrong thing or say it in the wrong way. We didn't feel like it was necessarily our responsibility to lead them to Jesus as soon as possible. Wow. Uh, you know, our, 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 we know we're born in, in sin and we need redemption from, from the get go, but there's, you know, there, the grace of God covers, you know, covers us, you know, before our accountable stage, but we, we just wanted to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy spirit and not feel like paranoid that we got to get our kids saved and we don't want one day to go by when they, you know, when they cross that magical line of accountability uh, we wanted to be sensitive so they could, so God could work in his perfect timing. Well, that's where manipulation can come in as a parent, wow. because wow. you can take a three or four year old and you can manipulate them to a point to say yes to Jesus. And they prayed the prayer. Oh, whew, we're now we're off the hook and our, our kid's going to go to heaven. <laughs> it's like, no, pray for your kids to have that moment of their own belief. Teach them the right things and speak truth into their life and live the life in front of them and allow them to see that. And I guarantee you that they'll come to a point in their life where they'll say yes to Jesus. Some of our kids did that with us personally as a parent, praying with them, and that was beautiful and sweet. And then some of our kids, it happened somewhere else with somebody else leading them to Christ. So it's living the life. Don't manipulate or force it, but allow them to come to their own decision that this is what they want to do. Yep, that's really good. That's so good. And we know that we also live in a culture that is kind of walking away from their faith. You know, totally. we have students that graduate in the moment they turn 18 or 19, that 
they stop going to youth group, they start, you know, leaning into the world, they start, you know, testing the waters in just different areas and statistics are showing, what is it, 66.6% are leaving the church after they reach 18, 19, 20. And, you know, when are they going to come back? Are they going to come back after they find themselves in a deep pit in a deep hole, knowing that the church is there? Like, everybody has their own different story. But I would just ask you, both of you, how would you encourage the parent's heart whose child has maybe, you know, walked away from their faith, whether they are a child or maybe a young adult who say, you know what, this church thing, your faith is your faith. It's not for me. How would you encourage the parent's heart if they're in that season currently? Um, well, we have some things that, but I just want to speak something uh, prior to, to getting to that point is we are enablers today. We don't want to see our kids suffer. We don't like to see them in pain. And so we coddle them and don't let them experience pain. And as a result, they should be experiencing those tests, those trials, and doing things somewhat dangerously and risky in their teen years where you're there to walk alongside them. Mm -hmm. They get in the adult years because we've protected them, overprotected them, been the helicopter parent, we rescued them. We, they get to their young adult years, now you're not there with them. They're at college, they're, they're living on their own, and they have nobody to stand there to encourage them in the right direction. Let them mess up in high school. <laughs> let them let them fail. Let them fall. And then walk beside them through the pain of that. It'll be a much more powerful experience and help them stay on the right track after they leave your home rather than let them experience that uh, later on in life. So <laughs> yeah. back to the question of how do you encourage a parent? Prayer is the most powerful thing that you can do when you have a child that's walked away and you don't understand. So I would say pray is number one. You, you, you can never go wrong with just praying for your child and believing that they will come back. That's part of engaging your faith yep. that I can see them coming back. I believe that they'll come back and I'm not, I'm going to be relentless in my prayer until I see that happen. So I think that's number one. Number two, don't blame yourself. Own, own some things. If you did screw up, own them and ask your child's forgiveness. That will go a long, long way. Um, just recognize, man, if you covered over some of their sin, if you bailed them out, if you didn't let them experience pain, apologize and ask their forgiveness because that didn't help them grow in their spiritual life if you did those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So ask for their forgiveness. Take Own your own. Uh, things, areas where you know that you messed up, but then don't take on more than, than you should. It's, it's not all your fault because our children are born into sin, just like we were, and they have to own their own decisions. Yeah. So we cannot control the decisions they make as parents. They are an individual with a free will. So don't take their sin on as your sin. That's good. So, so there, there's a line there. So those would be pieces of advice is pray, 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 and then continue to influence them um, by don't, don't shove Jesus down their throat, but just live the life in front of them. In other words, when they come over for dinner, you're still going to pray. Mm -hmm. Um, when they come over for dinner, they're going to see mom and dad holding hands and hugging. Um, they're they're going to hear you talk about something that God did in your life. 
Okay. Just live the life in front of them, but don't cram it down their throat. Yep. And just to <laughs> add just a couple of thoughts, um, some parents, uh, as, as they, as children grow to their independent age of, you know, 19, 20 or whatever, parents mistakenly think that they're still responsible for their kids. And uh, we are responsible for our kids when we are legally responsible for their behavior, like when they're minors. Right. Um, but we're not responsible for them when they're adults, but we'll always be responsible to them. We'll always be responsible to our kids in the, in the sense of being responsible to, to provide love and support and uh, that they'll always be our child, we'll always be their parent, but we're not responsible for their decisions or their, or their consequences. And so this is where this enablement just continues to be like a lifelong uh, a theme for some families that just can't seem to get over the hump that we're always, you know, always covering for the mistakes and paying the, paying the debt and paying the bills and bailing them out and all that. So uh, the ability to differentiate between being responsible for and being responsible to. That is such a helpful point of distinction, being responsible for and being responsible to. And um, we love to have fun on this podcast. And it's Valentine's Day when this is airing. And I just look, I, I want to share a fun story because I think that every listener, if they're honest, they love love. And it's about my life. And this story involves our guests. And um, I think you'll remember this. I'm pretty confident. I, I don't know where you're going, Josiah. I, I don't either. <laughs> so Micah and I met at Cedar Valley Church when, when I was on staff and she was a student at North Central University. She moved from North Dakota. Mm -hmm. And we met, we were friends, served in ministry for about a year. And we had this um, moment, at least I had this moment experience in China where we were on a mission trip, serving on a college campus. And I saw her heart and just was captivated, fell in love with who she is. And I, I put it all out there. I had the moment of like, okay, this could be awkward, but would you get to know, like, can, if I, I said this, if I were to ask you on a date, what would you say? And that's part of our story. And the other part of our story is we started dating. We dated for about a year, year and a half. And before I proposed at the Grand Canyon mm -hmm. in Arizona, which is one of Micah's favorite spots, I found out casually while we were dating. And Doug, you and I had a mentoring relationship at the time. But I found out that I, I obviously am a person of honor. I believe in that, like, if you're a young man, you ask a girl's dad for her hand in marriage. And so I had to talk to my dad because he's a jeweler. He designed Micah's wedding ring. And then I had to talk to her dad and got his blessing. And then I found out from Micah while we were dating <laughs> that she's like, I have a spiritual father. He was a, my pastor. <laughs> Dakota. And you, before you can propose to me, you need to ask Doug Graham if, if you can have my hand in marriage. And um, so I'm going to put him through the ringer. Yeah. Do you remember that, Doug? Any comments yeah. on that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Micah was, I mean, Micah came into the church and came to faith, you know, as a young adult and got fired up for the Lord and, and did a, uh, kind of an unofficial but official uh, internship and really got involved uh, with our young adult ministry and through that became kind of a daughter in the Lord, you know, to both Vicki and to me. And then uh, to 
have you transition, you know, to attend school at North Central, just further uh, created that, that, uh, that bond that Vicki and I have for you. And so, yeah, yeah, you had to, you had to get, you had to go through a couple of different uh, individuals. And you said your answer was? Um, boy, I, I can't remember that. I don't remember either, but I know you said yes, because I, <laughs> I remember having a conversation at the Edina Galleria Starbucks. And so anyway, um, that leads us into, we're about to go into a segment called Five and Five, but you touched on something that this, this show, listen, this show is all about reaching young adults in our world today. And part of my life involves young adult ministry, part mm-hmm. of Micah's own faith journey, like discipleship, what you just said. And I know this is off script. So I, I respect if you want me to edit this out later, but just let me know, or if you don't want to answer it, but I would love to pick your brain, both of you, if you could answer the question, like for the senior leader listening or the pastor um, who's leading a church or even the young adult ministry leader actively serving, like, why is it? that young adult ministry is important. Yeah. Well, uh, I can, I can just go on and on about this because this is so important. A lot of churches, um, and because this is what we experienced in, in our church in Bismarck, you know, uh, I was pastoring that church for, you know, five years, I suppose by this time. And we had, the church had historically always been, we were one of the early agey churches that had a children's pastor. I mean, way wow. back in the sixties. Wow. So they'd always been investing in children's ministry and of course, youth ministry right. and uh, uh, all kinds of, you know, programming for married couples and uh, all kinds of programming for seniors, truly a multi-generational church, but there was a missing generation. And that was the, the, the 20 somethings that that generation at, at our church at that time was not there. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bismarck uh, has, you know, two significant colleges, right. uh, universities. And so we just, you know, for some reason, you know, teenager kids have been raised in the church, gone through the ministries and, and then maybe just decided, you know, we're, we're, we're not coming to church anymore. And it, it, indicated that there was a hole in the church and we needed to do some, something specific to reach young adults. And, but we had to do something different. Uh, we had to do something that would resonate with young adult culture. And so we basically determined that we were going to take a missional approach to reaching that generation uh, by, by, you know, back in the day, missionaries would, take their King James Bibles and the American hymnals and go to the bush and teach them English and their King and teach them King James Bible verses and teach them the American hymns. And it finally dawned on us that, 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 that is so, you know, that's a violation to the culture of the people that they're in. So, you know, today you go on the mission field and you dress in their garb and you learn their songs. And we actually train our missionaries to learn their language, which that's the approach we needed to take. If we were, to reach a missing generation, you know, and created a worship service that was conducive to their time schedule, conducive to their taste in music, uh, conducive to their, you know, dress. And so we just gave ourselves permission to do whatever it took to uh, honor the culture of young adult, uh, young adults. And, and as a result, I mean, we just reached a ton of 
unchurched, de-churched, and, you know, former church attenders, and it was really fabulous. So that, my point in answering your question, it's, it's really critical. If we're going to be, uh, you know, a true body of Christ without an arm missing, we've got to have all the generations. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, that's not to say that every church has to, you know, have, you know, there are some churches that are really, really doing it by reaching young adults and there aren't a lot of seniors and all that. So I get that, but uh, young adults are critical. If, if we don't, if we don't reach them, uh, we're going to have a missing gap for another 40 years in the local church. And, you know, the idea that they'll come back when they start having kids some, to some degree, young adults are coming back as they now have kids, but often they're, coming back for the wrong reason. Well, it's a good reason to get your kids in church. Yes. Mm-hmm. But they're not coming for their own spiritual reasons. So all the more reason for us to really have good intentional ways to see kids graduate out of the youth group. And if they stay in the city that you're in, we've got the next program. We've got the next activity. We've got the next thing for them to be tied into and staying close to the work of God in the local church. So it's very, very important. That's so good. Thank you for going a little off script there. I think that's just important to us and important to the podcast yeah. listeners and really appreciate your insight. And yes, absolutely. Perfectly for the next section. It's called five questions, five minutes, the rapid fire. So we put five minutes on the clock mm-hmm. and you get to each answer these five questions. Are you up for the challenge? They're ready. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. All right, so question one, if you could describe each other in three words, what would they be? Vicki, do you wanna go first? Yes, uh, I'll describe him as driven, uh, he's a learner, and he's authentic. And, and I would say that Vicki is beautiful. Um, she is, um, she's resilient, and she is, um, she is incredibly uh, dependable. That's good. Amazing. And we know that in life and in ministry and in, in, in marriage too, like having hobbies, it's really critical. It's really important. So could you each share what's one of your favorite hobbies? Maybe you do it if you had a day off, um, either as individual or as a couple together. Um, one of the things that we like to do together is go to brunch on Saturday morning. We love breakfast and we don't do a lot of breakfast throughout the week. And it's a way for us to connect and just be the two of us. Yep. Um, uh, individually for me, um, a, a great day off is spending all day at Barnes and Noble reading. And, uh, I love that. I love to read, love to study. And uh, so reading is, is my thing. I love fitness. Uh, I've been involved in triathlons for the last number of years. And so biking, swimming, running. Uh, I've had a couple of back surgeries recently. So my running days, I think, are over. But uh, that's, uh, that's what I like to do in my downtime. Wonderful. Okay, here's the curveball. Question three. If you guys could ask us one question, what would you ask us today? Uh, I would ask you, um, what specifically are you um, investing in, in in establishing and building the strong foundation? Uh, and I'll just say it maybe as parents, now that you're young parents, what are you doing intentionally 
to uh, developing and growing in being a parent? Yeah, I'll go first. We are like you guys that we like to read books. So I mentioned the Jody Burnt um, book that we're reading and praying the scriptures over our daughter, Aurora. She loves reading. She has her own little bookshelf. My mom got her a lot of books. And um, so that's fun is teaching her to read, teaching her to pray. We also like, I try to tuck her in bed every night and just to pray over her, pray a blessing. And I think the other thing is have fun. Like mm -hmm. I asked Micah, I said, who do you think has caused Aurora to laugh the most in her life? And Micah said, if you've seen his dance moves, you know, it'd be him. <laughs> <laughs> she That's great. She laughs, she hiccups, she has fun, she points at me. <laughs> and so I think that that's like important in building a relationship. Like I showed you this picture before we started that means a lot to me because she's standing now and she can grab my leg. And so I feel like if she looks up to me, I, I pray that it's a representation too, that she can look up to her heavenly father. Yeah, yeah. that's good. So aside from what he had said, I would say just learning how to be parents, be present parents, I think is one with each other and with her in the room. Two is recognizing that she is a sponge. She's only nine months old or eight and a half, but I mean, she watches everything. And if she sees you eat something or drink out of it, she's trying to do the exact same thing. So we know like what we, what we reap is what we sow and how we parent is, you know, who we're raising and that's the outcome of that. So I think keeping God first, like we've talked about, um, continually dating each other, but then also having, we have a pizza party every Friday night. So that's kind of our pizza party night that we all kind of watch a movie, hang out, you know, in the living room and just order pizza, make pizza, do whatever. So starting traditions at a young age of like, who are we, what is important and how do we respectfully love each other and communicate to each other, you know, behind the scenes, but also in front of her. So she's a sponge. <laughs> so back to you guys, um, four out of five. Question four is, would you be willing to share any mistakes you made along the way in the journey of life, ministry, leadership, and maybe what God taught you in the process that you'd be willing to share with a young leader or learner? I think initially in our marriage, a mistake that we made is, and it's a common mistake, um, initially expecting your spouse to be like you, mm -hmm. to think, to process, to see life the way you do. Um, and that gets us into a lot of trouble. <laughs> and we, we start judging our spouse then if, if they're not like us. Here's, here's the thing. God created us to be different, to make us or our spouse to be different to make us better that's right so good so um it's actually a positive thing but initially the first three years of our marriage we saw it as a negative thing uh, i'll speak to the issue in in terms of leadership um i uh went through a very difficult uh, uh burnout situation that uh, resulted or was caused by or was mixed in mixed in with the uh, clinical depression and uh, had a number of just things went sideways that I that I was not in control of uh, related to family issues and and such but into that mix was a real bad definition of success Mm. Uh, especially uh, for a minister uh, my definition of success as a minister was 
if I ever leave this church, I hope everybody cries their eyes out, uh, which is really kind of a sick, selfish, narcissistic uh, approach to leadership. I, you know, wanting everybody to think you're the best they've ever had. So uh, that took a lot of counseling, literally therapy counseling to identify that and to uh, ask the question, why is that there? And then to change the script on moving forward in what is a true sense of success as a leader. Uh, so that was a good one. That's good. Well, thank you both for going there and sharing with our audience Definitely. today. I think we could all take something from what you both had said. And we have one final question left to leave the listener with. And if each of you could just share, if you could tell a group of college pastors and young adult ministry leaders, one thing, what would you leave them with today? Love authentically. Um, Young adults can sniff out if you truly care and have an interest in them or not. Um, So I think you have to love them authentically and they have to see that your care for them is real. Yep. And I would say, um, look for the diamonds in the rough. Look, look for the diamonds in the rough. Uh, the young adult years for some is like the middle school years for most of us. You know, we talk about the middle school years. Those are the awkward years. Those are the years that, you know, and, and so so a lot of young adults collegiate, you know, young adults are, are re, re going through a real tough time, either because of relationship issues, social dysfunction, economic poverty, those kinds of things. So uh, make room and look for the diamonds in the rough. They're there. Excellent. Amazing insight to leave our listener with. And we just want to say, Doug and Vicki, thank mm-hmm. you guys so much for investing in us and the Young Adults Today podcast. We're proud of you both. Yes, thank you thank so much. Thank for you for inviting us. Yep. amazing and for those listening um, thanks for tuning in and for joining us you can find out more about the grams when you connect with us on our website at young adults today as well as across social media platforms at young adults today until next time this is micah and josiah saying goodbye happy valentine's day Thanks for listening to today's conversation on the Young Adults Today podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Plug me in. I'm getting charged up right now, yeah.